going to ask you to turn to Proverbs 28. And let's take a moment and pray before we get into the Word. Father, we thank you for the Bible. Uh, it is your holy Word. Um, Father, all that it tells us. You're never wrong. And Lord, it takes a lot for us to sit here and, and um, have to come to terms with self and inadequacy and failure and recognizing and trying to be sober about when our hearts are hard. Lord, if we've come here today and our ears are already stopped up, I pray, God, that we would lay that down, get rid of it, desire for you to be everything that we need and to change us. Lord, add it to our minds, our understandings. Help us to realize that you have an awesome life in store for us because it's your life. And we get the beautiful privilege to partake in it because of everything that Jesus has accomplished. So help us today, Father, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 28. The Proverbs are always interesting because they were penned by the wisest man to ever live. And sometimes we read them and initially we don't think much about it. We come back later and they impact us in a way we never understood before. That is the profundity of the Bible. But let's look at verse 13. Yes. Sorry, what? Chapter 28 of Proverbs. Yes, ma'am. Chapter 28, we'll start in verse 13. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but, and notice the two-step deal here, he who confesses, so there's our first John 1, 9, and forsakes them, which should be the logical progression of first John 1, 9, We'll find compassion. So notice, it's not just coming to terms with sin and confessing it to the Lord. It is taking the steps to avoid that sin again. In fact, I would say that probably falls in the classification of wisdom all by itself. Verse 14, how blessed is the man who fears always. And of course, that speaks about fearing the Lord, reverencing the Lord, having awe and respect for the Lord. But... He who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Guaranteed destruction. Take a look down at chapter 29, verse 1. A man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. Look at verse 23 of chapter 28. 28-23. He who rebukes a man. Now notice this is different because this is talking about the person who goes to the person with a hardened heart. He who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. Do you believe that sin is serious? I think that's a question that we have to come to every day. Do we believe that our sin is serious? Do we believe that the sin of others are serious? 
we've gotten in touch to such a situation in our world where we feel like it's no longer our place to speak into the lives of our brothers and sisters. That's one of the beautiful benefits of church. How many of you have siblings who have done foolish things? See, now we're talking heavy application, aren't we? I'm not surprised by either of those responses. Okay. Hey, only child. Not here on it. As if you couldn't tell. But... If they were in a bad way, or when they were, did you take the steps to speak into their life? Did you let them know that you had to have a talk? If you were that sibling, were you willing to listen? I think Christianity as a whole has been robbed of something very precious because of how we put on our church clothes and we put on our church face and we go with our church demeanor to a place called church. And the problem with all that is, is that it forgot one basic tenet. You are the church whether you're there or not. And because we put on this facade and because we want to have this appearance that nothing is wrong with us, with me, Nothing's wrong with you. I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. That we have robbed ourselves of the opportunity of speaking into each other's lives and watching God's word come to life and making the changes that only the Holy Spirit can do. Notice that you have two polar opposites between Proverbs 29.1 in Proverbs 28.23. Look at 29.1 once again. A man who hardens his neck after much reproof. What does that mean? Constant, wise, and biblical counsel that's been put before them to where they have remained inactive, apathetic, or in constant unbelief to what they've heard will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. I can't help but to think if somebody took a plate glass window and just dropped it flat on the ground and just shatters. I mean, think about what it says. We'll be broken beyond remedy. You know what that says? There's no cure for you. I need help. I'm sick. But we told you how to get better. Again and again. And again, you've written so many prescriptions, you got a hand cramp. They can't get better. 28-23, this is where the tender-hearted believer comes into the situation. He who rebukes a man. Sometimes we look at the word rebuke, and because of that K in there, it seems like in our language, anything that has the K sound to it, we automatically think it packs an extra punch, and it's really hard. Like Kentucky. <laughs> Two K's. Glad to know we're all spiritually in tune here. Um, He who 
rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. Because let's be honest, patting somebody on the back and reassuring someone, a brother or sister who's in sin, that they're okay, and not making waves, that's easy, isn't it? We could all do it. Because that's in keeping with playing church. That's in keeping with what church is supposed to be like. If we want to be a people who are the church, then we deal with sin. And just because the word rebuke has that heavy K sound in there, doesn't mean that we have to have an attitude to do it. In fact, I would go ahead and tell you that in every church discipline situation I've ever been in, there has always been a sense of grief that's accompanied it. There's always been tears at one point or another. Because it boggles the mind when you want something better for someone that they don't want for themselves. And they, really, and, and, and they can't see that the greatest problem in their life is them. They refuse to get out of the way and they refuse to let Jesus be Jesus. They're always going to be their own savior. They're always going to be their own priest. What do I mean by that? They're always going to seek to make the atonement for their own sins rather than recognizing I need a savior all the time. Let me ask you, did you only need Jesus when you came to faith in him, or do you need him every day? Every day, if not more, right? Notice that it's that understanding, it's that sober recognition of my reality, is that what keeps us humble before the Lord. And it also gives us the credibility, not because we have it all together, but because we know we need to constantly be casting ourselves at the Savior's feet. It gives us the credibility of people who desire deeply to walk with God, to be able to speak into the lives of other people gently and lovingly, to care for them, to point them in the right direction. Let's look at some examples of this. Turn with me, if you would, over to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6. First, Second Corinthians, and remember, Gentiles eat pork chops. G E P C. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It's a good way to remember it. Look at chapter six, verse one. Brethren, now, now pause. Hermeneutical question: Saved or unsaved? Paul totally believes that his audience is saved. So watch what he says, brethren. Even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual. Now, what does that mean, you who are spiritual? Well, number one, it's not those who are carnal. There's a such thing as carnal believers. If you want to write that down, you're dealing with the end of 1 Corinthians 2 and the beginning of 1 Corinthians 3. There are carnal believers. But we're talking about people who are actively walking with the Lord. People who are living a disciplined life in response to the great grace that has been poured out for them. It's a reflection of God's goodness and the change that he's made in Christ in their life because they have the indwelling Holy Spirit. They're submitting to the Lord. So notice, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Two things, restore 
is the exact same word that is used in Matthew for the idea of mending a fishnet that's gotten a hole in it. Go to that person and look at the net of their life and encourage them to mend the holes. Now notice it also says in the spirit of what? gentleness there's the attitude why because people who are caught up in sin are fragile what in the world are you doing take that off that was in your nose just go out in the foyer put Pete on the door so he won't let you back in I've ceased to have a spirit of gentleness with you. (laughs) Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. I thought you'd gotten that men's hair comb in lightener, and I'm like, why do you only do his mustache? I said, wait a second, that's a piece of cardboard. (laughs) You guys don't want the view up here. I'm just going to tell you. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself. Now notice that. You are seeking to help someone put together the holes in the net of their life with a gentle attitude. But you got to keep your peepers open. Why? So you don't fall into the same stuff. Let's be honest. Sin is much easier to commit when there's a lot of people involved. You ever notice that when... The government busts up a sex trafficking ring. It wasn't just a couple of people. It was a network. They ate a network of people. Everybody was in the midst of darkness. It just became easier to do. So everybody got hung up in it. And this is just what we do. Sad. Look to yourself. Here's the reason. So that you too will not be tempted. Temptation is real. Now, this is important. Temptation is not sin. Temptation is enticement to sin. But it is not sin. That's important to know. Notice that Paul calls on the believers of the church. Go. Tell this person the truth. Have a gentle attitude. Why does it say those who are spiritual? Those who are humble before the Lord. Those whose hearts are prepared to handle such a matter. And to not get angry. Guys, it's real good to take the back of a hairbrush and whack somebody over the head because they're not doing right. That's the easy way to handle a situation. To bear through a struggle with them and to put your arm around them, totally different deal. And so by us being in a solid, constantly confessing fellowship, walk relationship with God, recognizing that we need Him all the time, That is what's preparatory for us to do that administering work to help brothers and sisters to get out of messes they found themselves in. How about turn over to James? James 5. James chapter 5. We'll look at the last two verses.
Notice that James is addressing saved people in this letter. My brethren, if any among you strays, now this is an interesting word because it's the idea of losing your way. You were on the path and somehow you looked down and you got off of it. Okay, So if anyone among you strays from the truth, notice the truth is the standard, and one turns him back. In other words, believers are recognizing the problem that a brother or sister has gotten off the path and they decide to organize a search and rescue mission and they deploy for action. We are here to help them mend their nets with a spirit of gentleness and to bring them back to the Lord, to bring them back to sobriety of the truth. That's the idea. Look what it says. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way. Now, a lot of people have looked at this and said, wait a second, obviously it's an unbeliever. Did he call him brethren? Did he say to him before, if any among you strays? Which means they're what? They're believers, they're brothers or sisters, exactly. So notice, sinner is what the characterizing quality is of how they're living their life. That's why they're called that. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul. Suke. Life. Perfectly interchangeable. In other words, the way that the believer decided to start walking when they got off the path began a squandering process of the stewardship that's been entrusted to them as believers in Christ. And they began wasting their life away on worldly and fleshly pursuits. Sin now became the rule. It was the authority in the matter. For a believer to take an active stance in turning this person around and bringing them back to the truth, you have just saved their soul. Are you a soul saver? Are you a life saver? Because that's what this is talking about. Being willing and capable And as long as you know how to handle this, you are capable to speak into somebody's life and say, can you not see what you're doing? This is wrong. Don't do this. Come back to God's word. He's got an infinitely better way for you to live your life. Now, I think this is important to say. Every single person in this room falls into the mud puddle. It's going to happen. One place or another. You usually can find out real quick when they're very honest with you about how their day's going. How are you doing? Well, you know it's coming. It's not just pleasantries at that point. But there's a big difference between the guy who got all dressed up to swim in the mud puddle, loves the mud puddle, stays in the mud puddle, desires the mud puddle, cherishes the mud puddle, and doesn't want anybody else to have part of his puddle. Why is that? Because sin has so taken root and has now become the controlling dominant factor in his or her life. It's hard to separate them. You will save his soul from death. And why is that? Because persistent sin will lead to physical death. 
I think it's important for us to recognize, is God full of love? Absolutely. Is he full of grace? Man, we're not going to deny any of his attributes. Can God take a persistently sinful believer in Christ who is his child and refuses to listen to God's word and refuses to lay down sins that they so cherish and hold fast to and take them out of life? He can. In fact, I'm pretty sure that's where we got the whole phrase that people like to use sometimes. I gave you life, I can take you out of life, right? Say that to your kids. I'm sure that originated with Yahweh Elohim. But notice, save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The stacking up of their sins and the practice of their life will be expelled. Done. Why is that? Because they have come back into fellowship with Christ. Isn't that the whole reason why we do 1 John 1, 9, we confess our sins? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why do already redeemed people in Jesus need to be continually cleansed by sin, or or from sin? Because we what? Because we sin! Good grief, we need him. So notice, these are verses that deal with being part of the search and rescue party in order to lead a believer back. Now, let's turn over to Colossians 3. I'm going to go kind of hastily through this. I encourage you to please go back and listen online if you are able. If not, just ask Mitch. I'm sure Mitch can burn you a CD of this so you can listen to. And it's not that I don't want to handle the text well. I, I pray to the Lord I will still do that. But I've got other things I want to show you as well, and our time is short. If we didn't have Sunday school today, I'd keep you. But we do, so. And it's okay. Chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, and I think it's important to recognize that here, the word if can actually be understood as since, since you have been raised up with Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, have you been raised up with Christ? Yes, you have, and that's a reality. You have been raised to a newness of life, which means if you've been raised before you were raised... You had to die, correct? What did you die to? Sin. At one time, I was very much alive to sin and dead to God, separated from him. But when I heard the gospel and responded in faith to the gospel, all of a sudden, a transaction took place to where I was now dead to sin, and now I am alive to God. I was resurrected to a newness of life. Not a new improved Jeremy life. Good Lord, no one wants that. A new improved Christ life. So notice, therefore, since you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Notice that it's an ongoing process. As you're walking every day in your life until you meet the grave, keep seeking. Seeking the things above. Now pause. I'm going to give you a real interesting little thing that you're not going to think much of, but I promise you if you ponder on it, it will make all the difference in the world. If you just grab, keep seeking the things above. However many words that is. Five. Do you realize that church discipline will never ever be on your radar? 
This first little antidote he's given us here just cures all. Keep seeking the things above. Keep seeking the things above. Every day when I get up, keep seeking the things above. Why? You start praying Romans 6. Because I am dead to sin, I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus my Lord, and I'm presenting myself to God as alive, and the members of my body as instruments of righteousness to be used for his glorious purposes. God, I need you today. Please help me. Amen. That's what it boils down to. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and everything else will be added to you. You know what he's saying? Get your eyes on the main thing and don't worry about everything else. In fact, let's be honest about this. The way that somebody gets into a church discipline situation where brothers and sisters need to start speaking in their lives is they got their eyes off of here and they started putting their eyes here. And because they were trying to control their circumstances without asking the Lord to be the difference in them, they get obsessive. They start looking for satisfaction around here that never works. Why do people keep doing drugs? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've smoked marijuana before. But I guarantee you that if you have, very few people did it once. Why'd you go back? Well, it just made me feel a certain way. I had to go. I had to do it. I just want to feel like that. I just need to chill out. You went back because the first time that you went didn't satisfy. That's the reason why. And so you had to look for satisfaction again. And if you couldn't find it in that way, then you experienced something new. Oh, this experience brings me satisfaction. And so you keep coming back and you keep doing it and doing it and going and going and going. Sin is a persistent, repetitious activity that we participate in because we're desperately looking for the satisfaction that Jesus Christ already freely provides. It's us trying to conjure our own massage. You get your eyes off of things above, you start looking below, you got participating in sin. Then it grabbed you, and it pulled you in, and boy, it wasn't going to let you go. And that's why believers had to put on the life vest and jump in and try to bring you back to shore. Seek the things that are above. Step one. Stay on step one. Well, I'm not finding much satisfaction in step one. Then you're not doing it right. Stop reading Christian books. Start reading God's book. I really love Tony Evans. You can tell from last week. Recommending his commentary, which a lot of you told me he's already sold out again. But Tony Evans is not Jesus Christ. And no matter how good his illustrations are, because he's a master of illustration... That illustration does not do the changing work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit looks at Tony Evans' illustration in my life and says, oh, that's pretty good. It matches up with my truth. Yeah, okay, that's all right. He takes this and he starts to get to work. That's the difference. Be about this. We want to seek things that are above. This is the book from above. Be about this. Well, I don't believe that. Let's talk after this, please. I love talking to people that don't believe in the truth. Notice it says here, 
If you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, having eternity in view is the idea. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. It almost makes me wonder if I couldn't take the top of my head off like a lid and dig this little small pea brain out and just set my mind on the things above. I know it's talking about setting your mind, but it it needs to stay there. Set it up on that shelf and don't take it off. Put it there and get your hands off. Set your mind on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Why? Because when you're getting a glimpse of his glory, just like the song says, the things of earth look what? Strangely dim. In fact, I think maybe we should change that hymn a little bit. Can we do that? How about strange and dim? The more you're looking at Jesus' ways, you realize that the way that we were settling for doing things, man, that was strange. Doesn't Jesus offer a better way? We do that in judging other people. Why are they doing that? That's weird. How come they don't recognize what Jesus has done for them so they can live in that way? Verse 3, 4, here's an explanation. You have died. To what? To sin. You have died to sin. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's probably the most real verse about who we are that I can think of right now. I don't need to participate in that sin. Why is that? When temptation comes knocking and wants you to get involved? I don't need to do that. Why? Because I've already died to it. If I'm dead to sin, that means I'm separated from it. And if I'm dead to it, that means it doesn't have any reign over me anymore. Why? Because I have a new master that reigns over me and has infinitely better than whatever this junk was ever going to lead me in. So I need to be recognizing myself as dead, dead to sin and alive to God. And not only that, but I am so unified with Jesus Christ. You as a believer in Christ are so unified with Christ and we don't recognize it. This is why we've got to ponder on this all the time. We are so wholly one with Christ that we're hidden in God. You know what that means? What's the word hidden mean? We all played hide and seek at some point. What's it mean? What's it mean? We don't know. Come on, guys. Out of view, out of sight. Can't be found. Everybody's looking for you, but all they see is Jesus. Why? Because I'm so with him. And we're both so in the Father. That all you see when you look at us is them. That's a life worth living. That's a life worth living because you get to sit back and just watch it happen. You just get to watch God do God things in your life. I don't know about you, but I want that always. How do you get it? Number one, you got to take sin seriously. Look at verse four. When Christ, gosh, I love this verse. I could keep you guys here for nine hours on this one verse okay i know you believe me (laughs) he's not lying people let's get out of here (laughs) i'm sure there's like a trigger somewhere that buzzes jerry so he can run up and pray real quick 
just in case I go too long. He's like on-call sermon stopper guy. Verse 4. If not, I just gave you guys a great idea. When Christ, who is our life, just marinate in that for a second. I'm so glad it says, it doesn't say, Jeremy's all you get in life. Man, somebody went shopping to Dollar General on that one, didn't they? Yes. I'll take it, man. It's true. No, no, no. You have the best. When Christ, who is your life, who is our life, is revealed. Now, when's this talking about? What are we waiting for? The rapture of the church. We're waiting for his return. The Bible talks a lot more about the rapture than just a couple of select passages, man. It's all over the place. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him where? In glory. When he shows himself, all of a sudden he will show you yourself, and he will show you yourself and myself in such perfection that it will resemble him. Why? Because we're all being conformed to his image, his likeness. That's God's goal for us, is to conform us to the image of Christ. When does that meet completion? In glory, at the rapture. Living with this future thinking in mind. Now notice what happens. Verse 5, we turn a corner. Therefore, because of that, because of what? Run your finger down through there. Because you've been raised up with Christ, because you need to keep seeking the things that are above, because that's where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, because you need to set your mind on the things above, not on the things of earth, because you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, And because when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, we're going to find out that we're going to be just like him because we're going to be revealed in him in glory. Now, that's all great stuff. How come I'm not getting amens this morning? Yes! Because of that, verse 5, watch this. I saw earlier he knows how to bring hearts up on the screen, too. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're going to have to have a finger amputation ceremony later. Verse 5, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as what? Dead. Because you've died to sin, and because you are alive in Christ, start looking at yourself like you really are. Start looking at yourself how God sees you because only God's opinion matters and he tells us what reality is because he cannot lie to us. So if that's the case, look at your life and recognize you're dead to sin. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body, your flesh, as dead to immorality and that's sexual immorality. So lust, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed which amounts to idolatry. It amounts to taking up sins and replacing our king with a pseudo, with a false Christ. And that false Christ is whatever appeals to our flesh that the world has created for us, which ultimately comes from Satan. Notice what he's saying. Get rid of that. Remember that you're dead to that. 
You don't have to participate in that. Christ has rescued you from that. When you got saved, you didn't just get saved from the lake of fire. You got saved from a worthless life. Look what he moves on to say. Verse 6, for it's because of these things, everything he just listed there, that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. What is that? That's the tribulation. Notice Paul is getting eschatological with his explanation of who you are in Christ. He wants to bring up the end times because he wants his people living with the end in mind. So if we're going to live in the end, we got to think properly about the end. What's it going to look like when Christ returns and we are revealed in glory with him? And it's because of these sinful things that people are participating in that are worldly and lustful in nature, orchestrated by Satan, that God has to bring his wrath on the earth and judge the earth. He has to judge sin. So now if that's the case, verse 7, in them you once walked when you were living in them. But you're what? You were living in them, but you're what now? You're dead. You're dead to sin. That used to be you. That's not you any longer. So many people sit around and they sulk and complain about they wish they could change their life. Let me tell you the truth. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've already got a changed life. If you're not living in that changed life, it's because you're not accessing what's already been freely given to you. I'm not talking about a second charismatic blessing in Christ to verify that he exists. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you embracing and taking advantage of all that you already have. There's gold under the bed. Look under the bed. I just can't pay my light bill. So many of us walk around in the dark when gold is under the bed. Why? There's cash in the mattress. I don't have any more illustrations for that. Move on. (laughs) Verse 8. But now you also put them all aside. Now I don't know about you, but I love this idea of, of here's all this junk that I used to entertain in my life and that wants to trap me and tempt me and get me away from serving God's purposes. It's like it's laid out on a big old table and then I can just put my hands down and go throw them in Tom's yard, right? So notice, put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. And that word laid aside is the idea of you're stripping off a shirt and you're throwing it away from you because you got something better to put on. Does everybody notice in verse 8? Look at them real quick. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech. Don't lie to one another. Everybody notice these are sins that are committed right here. With your mouth. Now, even people who occasionally attend church and show up at the baseball game know this one. Out of the overflow of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. See, this is telling you where your roots are. If these are the things that you're participating in life, if you are easily angered, if you are full of wrath, if you have malice, if you're slandering other people, if you're abusive to other people, and if you lie to other people, what that's telling you is you got a heart problem because it's revealing your roots. Paul's saying you don't have to live like that. And the first step out of that mess is recognizing that you're dead to those things. Because I guarantee you, verses 8 and 9, invite the humble believer in Christ to speak into your life because he or she desires better for you than what you're settling for. Verse 10, notice, do not lie, to, or sorry, verse 9, do not lie to one another since you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Verse 10, and put on the what? 
The new self. Who gave you the new self? Christ did. Jesus did. Absolutely. Put him on. Put on Jesus, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. In other words, it is reorienting you according to his truth. You used to live your life in the way that Satan had organized the world. But when you put on Christ and you strip off those old ways, you recognize that because you're now coming to terms with the truth, you are now able to live and walk in the truth. Why? Because you suddenly got better and went through a 12-step help program? No, because the Holy Spirit started enacting His Word in your life and began slowly whittling you into a masterpiece. That's the reason why. It's all His glory. It's all His glory. So now, moving on here. Look at verse 11. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, scathian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been, number, number one, chosen of God, number two, holy, you've been not just selected because of your belief in Christ, but you've also been set aside because of your belief in Christ. And what's the last one, church? Beloved, stop for a second. One of the greatest truths that a believer just needs to come to terms with is the fact that God continually loves them all the time. Let me tell you this real quick. Because we always, not always, we most of the time want to replicate our conception of God based on whoever the father figure is in our life, whether good or bad. We often want to do that. And when we do that, we always fall short. There were times, I'm sure, in our lives growing up where if we created a situation of disappointment with a parent in our life, we felt like they loved us a little less. Now, maybe I'm wrong on that. And that's probably not the case of how they felt necessarily. But you could tell that type of disappointment was very different. Let me tell you something. Jesus loves you maximum every day, all the time, no matter what you've done. He does not stop. He does not diminish. If he diminished, he could not be God. He is big enough to look beyond every shortcoming we have and love without fear of anything. God does not operate in fear. He does operate in love. And I think it's important sometimes for Christians just to recognize you you have a God that loves you and does not stop and will not stop. And you can't stop him from loving you. He just does. He just does. Well, he does. I'm, I'm, I'm all involved in this. Are you sure? Yes. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You realize before you ever even believed in Jesus, you already had this incredible, bursting love for you and me. Sometimes we just need to know that. We just need to know that. I'm not even going to be able to hit to my main application here. That's okay. Read the rest. In fact, let's do that. Read the rest of Colossians, but turn with me, please, over to 2 Timothy. We'll finish up here. I want to give you an illustration that the Bible plainly uses 
it is being used in context. It is correct. You can read all the rest of this and look at it. 2 Timothy 2. I just want to boil down to some, some things maybe to look at. Look at verse 16. I'm just going to read. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. Now stop for a second. Take note of further ungodliness, which means that whatever was going on previously, you were already in the midst of an ungodliness, and when it manifested itself in your mouth, usually through grumbling and complaining and simple little passable sins that we're all okay with like that, you actually found that what that is is that's a catalyst to spring you into further ungodliness. You want to know where somebody's at with the Lord, just stop and listen to what they say. Notice this is warning us here. Notice verse 17, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Some of your translations have likened it to cancer. Among them is Hymenaeus and Philetus. Now this Hymenaeus character, boy, I don't know what was going on with him, but he's also mentioned in 1 Timothy 1 verse 20 as a blasphemer. So that guy, I don't know. I don't know if Paul was having to paddle him or what, but he comes up a few times. Verse 18, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. You know what their greatest problem was that Paul's addressing here? They're not able to translate the rapture correctly. That's the problem. False doctrine. Anybody ever thought that getting the rapture wrong is false doctrine? It is, according to the Bible. They're already telling people it's already happened, and everybody's freaking out because they thought they missed the glory train. What in the world? Can you imagine a, a, a church full of believers like that? Am I saved? Am I unsaved? You can see how that would upset some people. Verse 19, nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now watch this picture that Paul paints for you. Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver, and if you're somebody who marks in your Bible and you don't mind, let me, let me invite you for gold and silver, put a number one next to each one. One gold, one silver. Watch this. They're gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood, two, and of earthenware, two. Put a little two next to those. And some to honor, one, and some to dishonor, number two. Okay? Now watch what happens here. Real quick, how many houses are there? There's only one house. Now I think that's important for us to, to pay attention to so we know what Paul's talking about here. He says here, verse 21, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, purge is the idea. You know what that tells me? Personal responsibility. A personal responsibility to respond to the truth. Watch this. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor. Was honor category one or two? One. And what is one likened to? What are the, what are the qualities? Gold and, and silver vessels. So notice, if there are earthenware vessels and wood vessels, they are vessels that are inside of the house, but they're not being used for honorable purposes. Why is that? Because they haven't cleaned themselves. 
These are vessels that need to be cleaned. Guess what? When they are cleaned, they now become vessels of silver and gold. They were dishonorable and were not able to be used. How would you feel if somebody invited you over to their house and just set dirty dishes out on the table? Help yourself. You'd help yourself to the sink and you would wash them, right? You would take the personal initiative to examine where the soil and the grime and the dirt are and you would clean whatever was necessary so that it would be presentable for what it's supposed to be used for. Therefore, if anyone cleans, cleanses, purges himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, set apart is the word, set apart, sanctified, holy, useful to who? The master. Useful to the master, prepared for what? Every good work. You ever wonder how those vessels got so grimy? It doesn't take too long looking at the bottom of a DVD disc of a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving to recognize whose fingerprints have been all over it. They are little, they are tiny, and they are slightly oily. Sue, just because he's cute doesn't mean he's pure. Okay, he's a little sinner. I'm just making sure we know. He is, don't... My kid never does anything wrong. Come on, people. Think soberly. It doesn't take too long to look at a vessel to realize some of the greatest problems. Why I'm earthenware. Used for dishonorable things is because my hands are all over me. I've so taken control of my life that I've removed myself from the master's use. Why? Because I'll use me. Thanks for saving me. Just have a seat. What is the remedy? How do you avoid getting in a situation of church discipline? What does the text say? You guys are giving me all these Thomas Kincaid painting answers. What does the text say? Keep your eyes on things above. What did it just say up in 21? Therefore, if anyone does what? Cleanses himself. Have you done a personal inventory on what you're involved in? What you spend your time, energy, money, day, thinking on? Is it the Lord? Are you saying I can't enjoy the Packers anymore? No. I'm saying the Packers aren't Jesus Christ. I'm saying that your job is not your identity. I'm saying that your kids are not your life. Somehow people went from Christian woman to soccer mom, and I don't understand why there's an identity transfer. Somehow when you talk to a guy who's who's not all there anymore, and he's older in life, and you ask him some things about what he did, he always identifies with his job, always identifies with his job. He knows nothing else but what his job was and what his job did, and that's all he can talk about, because that was the obsession of his life, because that's what he lived for. What do you live for? Let me place it a different way and put it in the text. Mitch, bring it back up real quick. Sorry, man. I apologize. Look what it says. 
He will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, set apart. Set apart for a reason. What? Useful to the master. Useful to the master. What does that say about the vessels of dishonor? They're not what? Useful. God can't use you to do God things. Have you placed yourself in a position of usefulness to the Lord? Have you read God's word and taken an inventory of your life and said, man, I got to confess this stuff. I need to be tender hearted to what the spirit's trying to minister and no longer push it away. Do what he's told me to do and deal with me. If Jesus has already saved me, why do I have to deal with me? I think this is important. Number one, is your ticket punched? Are you going to heaven? Yes. Do you have eternal life? You can never lose it? Yes. Are you perfectly spotless in his sight? Yes. But if babies were born and all of a sudden we put suits on them and briefcases in their hands and send them to work, our economy would plummet. This is a process of him growing his children. I think it's interesting that he doesn't come in with a baseball bat and start playing whack-a-mole with Christians. Instead, he invites you. There's one house. There are vessels of dishonor. There are vessels of honor. And if you want to be a vessel of honor that the master would use that is ready for every good work, are you willing to do the purging work? Are you willing to be responsive to the soap that he gives us? So that we can put ourselves in his hand and say, God, do your thing. Are you ready? Are you in a position where he can use you? Let's pray. Father, I pray that our hearts are tender before you. I pray that the Spirit is bringing to the surface of our minds right now those things that need to be dealt with, confessed, forsaken, laid aside. Though we may be Christians, we've worn the world's clothes for too long. If we are not taking up Christ, we need to have a good answer why. Thank you, God, that your truth has told us that there's not one. You desire to use us for your purposes. We would just think about what it would look like for every believer in this room right now to confess our sin, to deal with it, to get out of temptation's way. 
and to say, Father, I've purged myself. Use me for your glory. We would just place ourselves in your hands. Father, help us to wrestle with that question. It's the safest place to be. It's in the palm of your hand. Lord, give us a mind to obey you. And I pray, pray that you would rid us of all temptation that keeps us from being obedient. Thank you, Jesus, for even making something like that possible because you didn't have to. I ask all this in his name. Amen.